Friend, how you guys doing? Good, good, good. I am excited to um, share with you guys today. I mean, there's a couple of reasons why I'm excited. One, I get to talk about two of my passions, two things that I'm very passionate about, and I'm going to try to interweave them both into this message. The first one is, is about college, and the other one is about discipleship. We're talking about indigenous disciple makers. I'm excited about college. I don't know if you guys know kind of my story, but, you know, I came to know the Lord at, at about the, at the age of 20, and it was actually in college when I came to know the Lord. And, you know, and I had a tremendous transformation in, you know, when I came to know the Lord and God kind of did a complete 180. And so college is something that's near and dear to my heart. And not only is it near and dear to my heart, like yesterday, I was just kind of reminded of just how special it is as I got a chance to take um, one of my daughters to off to college. She's at UGA. So this is the first daughter that we have sent out to college, and it's like one of those bittersweet, I don't know how many of you guys have sent college students out, um, send them out, but it is a bittersweet moment in, in going out in UGA, but it was like, it, but what was interesting is that like my college ministry had just like kicked in. It was just like, it was just something that just naturally took over, and so when I was there, and you know, I was gonna try to be that dad, my goal, one of my primary goals was to try to embarrass my daughter while she was there. So any human being that came up, I'm introducing myself and introducing her. It said, you guys are going to be best friends and just like, and just doing that whole thing. And so it was awesome, you know, it was, but, but what happened was it was just like just being able to come back on and like connect with students and all that. Because any of you who have been to college know that like the first day when they open up the dorms is when like all the different ministries and all the different people out, the dorms, the sororities, the fraternities, and they're helping people kind of move in. And so they was helping us. They were doing it. it was so it was just really good. And I would just meet people. And for a, a long time, I was like, I just want to go back to college ministry. This is awesome, you know, and doing that. But it is something that is near and dear to my life. And really, it was out of college ministry that Blueprint Church was birthed. You know, it was out of college that 40 people who mostly got saved in college moved from Denton, Texas to Atlanta, Georgia to start Blueprint Church. It was out of that burden, out of that passion um, to, to come here and to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so we're going to get a chance to talk a little bit more about our college and kind of our next iteration and what we're doing and a ministry that we have. Um, we call our, we're naming our college ministry the SALT or SALT um, at ATL. And so we got um, our director is going to come up at the end and share a little bit um, about that. And so but I do, I just want to recommend that you guys who don't know our story, we have our story online. It's called Becoming the Blueprint, Becoming the Blueprint. And it gives, it's basically a, a short documentary that talks about the idea of, of just the history of Blueprint Church and how we came about. But, you know, when we got here, when we first planned the church, we planned the church in January 3rd of 2010. I, I really felt like we've overcompensated, you know, because when we came here, I had like my brother who was a Christian hip hop artist and there was other artists that was a part of it. And so we overcompensated because we came here with this like we don't want we want two things. We don't want people to think that we are the hip hop church. Right. Because there was like literally people who would like buses would come and think that they was going to have a concert every Sunday. So it was like. We didn't want to think that we were a hip-hop church. And the other thing we didn't want them to think was that we were just a college church because there's a bunch of college students who recently graduated here. And so we basically, for the first year, we just kind of overcompensated. You know, it was like, we're going to naturally get college students because that's who we are. That's what we do. And then, you know, now I got these grays. So it's just kind of like, all right, Lord. You know, I, you know I'm at that age now where I'm calling college students kids. So, you know, it's just like... Yeah, yes. So we're just going to continue on. But in that 
Many of us think about our college years, and many of us think about those days, and they think about the, like, joy, you know, and, and I guarantee you, you know, this is really what we've been talking about in this DNA series, is that there were three primary things that if you had, like, whether you were in college or just in the most healthiest time in your life, I guarantee you there was three realities that were taking place. One, you were growing in the gospel. Like, is this your relationship with God? Hold on. We got, we got a problem. Hey, let's, let's, get, let's, let's move out the way, brother. Appreciate you. All right, so, sorry about that. Let me. All right, so anyway, getting back. Coming back, um, so basically it's the idea of just this, that, that concept of kind of wrestling to like growing in the gospel. We were growing in the gospel, right? And the, the other part was is that you were growing in the context of family. There were people who were family, like they were together. They made, you know, they were like not like family, but they were family. And then the third thing that they were indigenous, or they were about discipleship. They were about growing. And so they were growing in their relationship with God. You were growing in relationship with other believers. And you were growing in like purpose and having a desire to, to do things. And regardless of if it was college or anything, that those three elements were primary they were essential in your life. And that's really what we've been talking about in our DNA series is that like every year, I love this series. This is actually one of my favorite series every year to do. I mean, it's the same talk, it's the same thing, but it is what we are about, right? When Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, that he was really clear on where he was going. And it's the same for us, is that we want to be really clear on where we are going, that we basically say that a call to membership is a call to discipleship. And if you want to be discipled by this church, we are aiming for four identities, gospel-centered believer, responsible siblings, indigenous disciple-maker, and generous steward. Those are the four primary identities that we are aiming for. In the first couple of weeks in this series, when we talk about resetting and rediscovering our identity, we talked about one as being a gospel-centered believer, right, growing in our relationship with God, being a responsible sibling. That's what we talked about last week. And then we talked about being an indigenous disciple maker. And what does it look like for us to love our neighbors? And next week, we're going to conclude this series with a generous steward, because ultimately, we believe that this is about the Christian life, is that if we grow in our relationship with God, grow in our relationship with other believers, grow in our relationship with neighbors, and then we spend all of our time, all of our talent, and all of our treasure cultivating those three relationships, that is the Christian life. That's what it's about. And so every year we pause in the month of August and we say, this is what this is about. And so, but the problem is, is that many of us, basically, we have kind of like, instead of kind of understanding that Christianity is those three primary relationships, we've become oftentimes two-thirds Christians, as I like to call it. And, you know, and two-thirds Christians are like, I love God and I can grow in my relationship with God. And, you know, and I even really think like the church is family. There's people that I'm close to that I share but for many of us, we have omitted, we have made um, making disciples an elective, sharing our faith if I get around to it. And it's one of those things that I really believe is the reason why you and I were not experiencing the abundant life that Christ, Christ has called us to. He says, follow me and you will become fishers of men. That this is not one of the elective courses, but we live in a day, we live in a time where we're like, well, you know, live and let live. I don't want to be too pushy. I don't want to, you know, this is my personal private. And Satan has blinded many of us to make our faith solely about us. Your faith is personal, but it's not private. 
Christ said, you are to be my witnesses. And so this is what Christ has called us to be and called us to be about. So we can't just stop at being a gospel-centered believer and a responsible sibling, but we are also called to be an indigenous disciple maker. Next week, we'll talk about how do we leverage all three of those. So today, basically, I'm just going to talk about the fight. I simply named this message as indigenous disciple makers, we fight. We fight. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses, but I want to just read these first three verses. And really, I just want to be answering the question of why we fight to live out our identity as indigenous disciple makers. Why we fight to live out our identity as indigenous disciple makers. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm just going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to pray. It says this, Therefore I, this is the Apostle Paul who's talking to us. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to come, Lord. We pray, God, for thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We bless your name because you are worthy. Thank you, Father God, for allowing us to be conduits of your grace. Thank you for allowing us, Father, to be shepherded, Father, into your will. God, we pray, Lord, that there will be something in this talk, something in this message, something in your word, Father, that would ignite a passion for thy will. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We bless your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Let me first start off with just a a definition of discipleship because we're going to be talking about discipleship. And really, I've broken down the sermon into the kind of the three parts, looking at Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. All right. My definition of discipleship is this. It's our capacity to lovingly embody the person and work of Jesus and to transfer him into the life of others. So let me say that one more time. It's our capacity to lovingly embody the person and work of Jesus and to transfer him into the life of others. And we're basically going to break that into basically three sections because I think that's what the text does for us, right? And the first one is is, um, when we talk about discipleship, it's our capacity to lovingly embody, right? And so when we recognize this, we understand our first point, is this, is that we are indigenous disciple makers. And if we're going to be indigenous disciple makers, we have to fight for unity. We have to fight for unity. It's our capacity. That's a first person plural. It's not a singular thing. It's not just simply one. It's our capacity. And I'm going to explain why that is a little bit later, right? So right here, what we see in these first three verses, they're so rich, we can spend all of our time just unpacking these verses. Paul kind of shows off, I mean, shows out right here and it says basically there's a fight for unity with God. And that's really what we've been seeing all throughout the, throughout this series, right? He ended, and Pastor Morgan talked about it a little bit last week, he ended with this, the second prayer, that he's been praying for. We saw this prayer, this passionate prayer that God would enlighten and open up the eyes of the people. They would understand the richness 
of his love. But then he goes on in 3.14. It's not on the screen, but I want to read it. In 3.14, he says this, for this reason I kneel, he's going back to prayer, before the Father through whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted in the and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he goes to now him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ to all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul prays, and this is the second time that he, in the middle of talking and teaching and sharing his heart, he busts into a prayer. And it's as if God, Paul is like, he's praying, he's like, you guys are not going to get the riches, the depth, so I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to pray on behalf of you that you would get it, that you would understand how deep God's love. We sing the songs, we, we come in here, we praise, we all that, but we don't get it because we leave unchanged. And he says, like, I just think, like, we need to take a prayer break and we need to just ask God and open up our arms and just receive him. Receive how deep this love, and I pray that God will somehow crack the skull and just open us up and so that we can receive him in a way that we can understand. Because it's this revelation that calls Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 14. He says, I am controlled, I am compelled by the love of God. That his one motivating factor is that he has been loved and that he has received this love, this love that we search for, that we, want, we yearn for all that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And this is why over through chapters 1, through chapter 2, through chapter 3, he says, in Christ, in Christ, that this is his work. This is what he has done for us. And I really think that Paul must have saw something in the church of Ephesus that he says, listen, you're doing a lot of good things, but don't lose that love. That later on he goes on and then John, the apostle John the Revelator in John chapter, in Revelation chapter 3, he says, listen, you've done a lot of great things in the name of Jesus. But this one thing that I got against you, church of Ephesus, you've lost your love. You've lost your love. And so what we see many years, many decades before that, that was written, we see Paul saying, don't lose your love, because that's what's going to carry you through. And so he's praying this. And then that love that we have, that we, we are able to love because he first loved us and we are able to reflect that love. So he goes on and, he, and Paul calls for unification, both to God and to one another. He says, I am a prisoner. I am a prisoner. And as a prisoner, I am now urging you basically to be prisoner, prisoners, to, that you would also war, walk worthy. Walk worthy in a manner that's worthy to the God that we serve, that reflects his character. And Paul urges the church to fight for unity. And that unity comes because of God's work. It's God's response to it. He goes on, he says that when, when he's urging them to do this in verse 2, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every 
effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So when we first say it's our capacity to lovingly embody, that he is saying that we ought to make every effort to keep the unity because there's so much that's going to be dividing us. He already talked about what he could do because one of the things that we recognize and we remember in Ephesians chapter 2 and 10, if you remember, this is not about earning your salvation. This is about, he just simply said, we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That it was not talking about that we do this to earn our salvation or even to get into heaven. No, Christ has done that. He has reconciled us. We are his masterpiece. We've been created in Christ Jesus, but we're not created just to sit. We're created to go, to be his witnesses. And so he calls them, he says, for good works. We are saved by grace, but Paul still says is that in light of being saved by grace, we still are to walk in a manner that's worthy. You see, the gospel unites us. We don't create unity. We have unity because of the gospel, unity because of what the Spirit of God places in the body of Christ. That's what gives us unity. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then you are one. You are family. And it's the supernatural work. And that's what we've been saying is that the, a gospel-centered believer who understands their identity, who understands and that's fluent in the gospel, understands that they've been bought and they're part of a family as a responsible sibling in which God is our father, Jesus is our elder brother, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are now to be his witnesses. As indigenous disciple makers, the world will know we are his because of his love for us, our love for one another. The gospel unites us. And so Paul says that if we're going to be about indigenous disciple makers, the first thing that we have to do is that we got to fight for what unites us. And so we make every effort, make every effort to keep unity, to keep the unity. Verse 3 says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of Christ. And I want you guys to hear, focus, hear these words. Verse 4, just in case what he says, what he means by keeping the unity. Verse 4, he says this, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. One. Over and over and over again. This is not your own personal Jesus that you can go to all by yourself and alone and kind of craft them into your image. That's called idolatry. But God is who he is. And he calls us to unite in him and understand that as we recognize that we have this personal relationship with God, it's not solely about us. It's about the we. And he says, fight for that. And that oneness, as we look and we focus in on Christ, that, is, that creates this responsibleness between one another, that unity that we have. So when we talk about it, it's our capacity. It's our capacity to lovingly embody. See, but the problem is, is that Paul recognizes that there's some community killers out there. There's some things that, that kills communities. Number one is ourselves, right? A community is not perfect because we bring ourselves to it all of our baggage, all of our things that we have. And, and a lot of times when we think about ourselves, many of us, we have um, a prideful perspective. 
What do I mean by prideful perspective? Basically, either with one or two things, we either think too highly of ourselves, we think we are God's gift to the body, or we think too lowly of ourselves, which is the same thing as still pride. It's just inverted. I ain't got nothing to give. I'm just here. And we have what I call the Eeyore mentality. Both of them are prideful because we've made it about us. But Christ tells us to have a sober view that you are both beautiful and you're broken. That God has hardwired in us an incredible need. So this is why when we talk about it, it's our capacity. So one is ourselves. That's a killer. And the other one is our culture. It's our culture that we have, right? It, you know, and as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, I thought about college. And I thought about, like, what made, like, the difference between college and career and the thing that we shift and, and how we shift. And on here, I, I kind of a few years back created this diagram. I was like, because I saw so many people who were on fire for Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they left. They're in their career, and they're no longer in love with Jesus anymore. And I recognize, I said, you know, in here, basically, we see on one end, like when you're in college, it's okay to be poor, right? This is like, you know, top ramen stories. It's like, you know, like it's, it's okay to be poor. And not only is it okay to be poor, you get in the job because you're like, my number one focus is like college. I want to be here, and, you know, and so I just need enough to survive. So you got a needs-based job. Then you create community. There's this dependency. Like, I'm not eating. I ain't got no money to eat today. Well, I'm cooking. You want to come over and eat? Yeah. I, you know, I'll get you this today, and you give me tomorrow. And we, they're sharing. We don't all have to have a car. We got one car in the whole group. We all just kind of hop in. Like, there's this that, that okay. It's, it's okay to be broke. It's okay to be needy. It's okay to be dependent. Like there, we're in college because we're, we're, we used to always say that we're too young to think that we're not going to change the world. We're idealistic. We're dreaming. We really believe God can actually do something. We haven't been beat down by life. We're, and then that, keep, that creates a focusness, and that makes us available. So in college, all of those things, and what happens is that the result of that is it's free to serve the Lord. That I'm ready. God, choose me here. I'm here. Use me. But something happens. We get that diploma and something happens. There's a shift that takes place. All of a sudden, it's no longer okay to be poor. Like, I got my degree. I, got, I deserve stuff. So because of that, we go and get a job. And I'm not against jobs. Please keep your job. <laughs> right? But we get a job working 40, 60, even double because it because shifts. Because now the goal, and we have allowed American culture comes in, the goal is independence, Right? That the goal is if I can be financially independent, get it when I can just get to a point where I don't need anybody. Because that's success in America. If I can get to a place where I'm financially don't need anybody. This, this, this is not in the Bible. But we have embraced that in the church. And so we become independent. And then because now we got this job, we got that car note that we have to have, we have that house that we can't afford. Really what Dave Ramsey talks about is that we end up trying to get our parents' life 20 years from now, but we want it now. And, you know, we can get it because there's this thing called credit, and we deserve it. We just suffered for four years in college, some of us six. Right? And so there's this peace that we have. And so what happens, we just go into maintenance mode. I got to keep my job. Can you go on a mission trip? No, I got to work. I don't got any time, you know. And, like, and what we do is that we can't, we're no longer free to serve the Lord. And what we start, we just start slowly dripping. 
And what I've found is that the people who have been able to maintain the college life or the college mentality have been the most rambunctious, the most dedicated Christians where they haven't been bought into the lie of the American dream. Because that creates this divide. I want to serve the Lord, but I also got to pay these bills. And so now, the best of Christians, I'll give you four to six hours a week. And that's including church. And so and we just kind of put God in a box all of a sudden. And now we got to get gospel, family, and mission all in the box. And so that's why I was like, I'm just going to take the best that I can get. And so when we go from being free to serve the Lord to simply bondage, we're enslaved to this life. And this is why Jesus says you can't love God and money. You can't love both. You're either going to love one and despise the other. You're going to think little of it. And so right here, what Paul says is that his emphasis on his calling in the text is a focus on the who he is called to. It's not about the what or the where. He says, I am a prisoner of the Lord and I'm called to you. Because it's our capacity to lovingly embody. Right? That is our capacity. And he says this, and this leads us to our second point. The reason why we fight as indigenous disciple makers is that we fight for clarity. We fight for clarity. We fight together for better clarity in the gospel. Let's look at verses 7, and I'm going to skip to 11. Verse 7, right after he kind of gives this thing about fighting for, he says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure of Christ's gift. That word where we talk about charismata or charismatic, this idea, charismatic simply means grace gifts. And we see right here that this is where God, Christ, through Christ, gives us gifts. And he gifts different parts of the body. And we see right there, and then in verse, um, so we see right here the, the, that Christ is central. Verse 11, he goes on and he says that this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He said he doesn't give everybody all the gifts. You see, there's only one person to ever walk the earth that had all the fullness of God, and that's Jesus. In Christ, we see that he was the perfect apostle. He was the one who was truly sent by God. He was the one and only and fully prophet. He was the one and only full evangelist, the one and only full pastor, the one and only full teacher. You see, for the rest of us, he says, right, he's, give, he's dispersing his gifts in what we see the manifold wisdom of God that he talked about in Ephesians chapter 3. And he says, listen, I want to give more clarity because if it's only about you, Dahadi, you see, then, then people are going to just be lopsided. And what you're going to create is lopsided mini-me's of yourself. He says, this is why the church is there. And so we see this idea that there's a centrality of Christ, but there's also a diversity of leadership is essential. You see, because he recognizes that God's chosen people are his vessel. Dr. Constable says it this way. He says, God's gift, God gives gifted people as gifts for the church. God has given you gifts. So when we've been talking about this idea of rediscovering our identity, this is not about just us coming back to church. This is about, like, we're missing something if you stay in the game. We're missing something if you don't see the mission of God as essential. 
we miss out because you don't bring your gifts. And so God is saying, no, come, come back. I got this, I got this grand narrative, this grand heist, this workmanship that I'm pulling back. And so that's what we've been talking about is this idea of like, let's bring everybody back. Let's bring the gang back so that we can do the essential work that Christ has given us. You see, because it's not just me, it's not just you, it's not just Lucius. It's taking all of us. We have a statement that if it takes the old African proverb that says, it takes a village to raise a child. But basically, we take that, it says that if it takes a village to raise a child, then it takes a church to raise a Christian. And see, many of us have believed the lie that we can grow in our relationship with Christ without the church. We, we really believe that. See, but that's American individualism. That's Western Christianity. That's not biblical. Let me just put it this way. When it comes to your growth, your growth, I want you to fill in the blanks here. I am who I am because of blank pouring into my life. Who is that? I am who I am because of blank. You see, the reality is this. I don't know all of you. But I guarantee you that you can't just put one name in there. God has used multiple people to make you who you are. See, but for some reason, when we think about this idea of discipleship, we think that it's all about me individually. You see, God gives gifted bodies, gifted people. He gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, people with the gift of heal healing, people with like different gifts for the purpose of the body, for the mutual edification of one another. And so we see that. And so the, th the statement is, is that everything that he has done, it's not just simply I must do. Everything he has done, we must do. We collectively come together. You know, and we understand there's a sober nature. Yeah, I may bring this gift, but you may bring that gift, and you need this. And like some, like there's this angst in here that you feel like people are always left behind or left out or not connected. God has put that burden on you because he has a desire to, to, for you to use it, not to sit on it and to talk about the church as them, they, in third person. No, it's a first person. We, us. And God has gifted us in the body, but our individualism has taken over. So the, the question becomes is how do we play our part? We gotta ask the question, what is God up to? What is he, what is he up to for us? What, is it, what does he mean? What is he looking for us in our day? How does this apply? How do we do that? What do I need to do to make the us better? Recognizing that we are beautiful and we are broken. We have something to bring, but we also, we also, don't bring it all. I got stuff, but I don't have it all. We need one another's giftings. And as indigenous disciple makers, we fight for clarity. And when we come together, we see the people who are pastoral, who has a shepherding heart, the people who are evangelistic, who always want to reach out to the neighbor, the people who are prophetic, who are bringing us constantly back to the word of God, the people who are more apostolic to say, we got to take new territory, new land, and we got to get this out to our neighbors. That all of those things come out when we get together and it's the we. It's not going to happen with us just sitting listening to YouTube. God has given us gifted leaders. God has given us you. Not to sit on the sideline, to be used by you. 
You see, the dangers of fighting alone is that you may be what you call successful. You're fighting alone and you and your family may be healthy. You see, but also the dangers of fighting alone is that we miss you in the fight. Your eternal family misses you. So while you're good, we miss you. The other danger is that our neighbors are not good. You see, Christ did not give us this gift. He says we are indebted. Paul says, I am indebted. I'm a doulos. I'm a bondservant. I'm a prisoner of God's will. And God's will is not just about you growing. God's will is about seeking and saving the lost and bringing everybody into maturity. The we in the Bible is always greater than the me. In both giving and receiving. And so this is why I end with this. As indigenous disciples, we've got to fight for maturity. So again, our capacity to lovingly embody, fighting for unity, the person and work of Christ that we want to show off the full person of Christ, not just the individual parts that I like to focus in on. And we got to fight for maturity. And see, in this, even this immaturity tells us this. He says he, he, he has equipped the saints for the work of ministry. He equipped the saints. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Why? To equip the saints. This is not a work just for the leaders. This is a work for all of us. All of us. We equip the saints so the saints can do the ministry. And so as we go out, he says that's, that's why we do it. And what, what does this go? To build up the body of Christ until all, until we all reach in the faith, unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by, wind, by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human and cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but seeking the truth in love. There he goes. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16, it says, for him, the whole body, the whole body, not just the Heidi, not just Lucius, not just you, the whole body is fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of, not again, it's not you, not the individual, of the body for the building of itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. You see, our goal is to build up the body of Christ. You see, God's goal is the collective maturity is God's desired outcome. Collective maturity. This is why he gives us ultimately the body of Christ. He gives us this image. We understand the body, right? If I have cancer in my shoulder, then do I just, the rest of my body says, oh, we're good. It's not a part of my body. Like if I got cancer in the lungs, we don't just say, you know, no. If I have cancer in the lungs, that means I have cancer. You see, but a lot of us kind of live this life with just like, oh, you know, I'm good. The church, they jacked up, but I'm good. And we kind of think this sanctification thing or this growing in Christ thing is all about you personally. No, there's a we. If your kids are jacked up, then your family is jacked up. That's just like me saying that I'm a great father and I have jacked up kids. And I have a, oh, I'm a great husband and my wife hates me. That, that doesn't make any sense, but that's the way we think about it. So the question is, and if we think about the church in America today, 
Are we like, are we good? No, just take a look at Twitter. You will be quickly reminded we are not good. There's cancer in the body. And the Bible says he has given us prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for ministry so that we can fight for unity, fight for clarity of the gospel, fight for a mutual maturity. So this is why we say that our definition of discipleship is our capacity to lovingly embody the person and work of Christ and to transfer him, all of him, into the life of others. That's our heart. That's our desire. And that's what it means to be an indigenous disciple maker. So what does that mean? Our goal as a church is to give you opportunities, to give you examples of how you can get in. So we talk about through our city groups. We talk about through our different ministries. We talk about even with you. We've said that, we've told you multiple times that if you even want to know how to be a better disciple maker on your job, just email me, call us. We will send one of our pastors, one of our leaders to your job and just be a fly on the wall to help you to be better indigenous disciple makers. Because our goal is that we seek to make disciples where we live, where we work, and where we play. We don't do a lot of ministries here, but the ministries that we do, we're doing it because it's, it's about being on mission for God. And so today I have an opportunity to introduce Josh Wassner. He is our college director of now with Salt Company. And I'm going to share a little, ask him to share a little bit about college. And I'll give you guys an opportunity to, to serve. You just want to stand? Let's just stand. So, just turn it on. Okay. So, I'm just really excited um, about it. You know, again, I told you guys a little bit about the journey. You know, in a few years back, we basically started kind of promoting college and we started getting back in it. And so, Justin Brew and Andrew Dugan, and they basically started cultivating things and doing stuff and on campus and has gotten us to a point that now we're just like, hey, what does it look like for us, as Josh mentioned, to reach the over 250,000 college students that come from across the country? to um, our major universities, to our universities here. And so I asked Josh to come up and to share a little bit about, just kind of a little bit about who he is, right? So we'll start there, just share a little about yourself and who you are. Yeah, uh, well, my name's Josh. I actually recently moved here with my wife, who I recently married. Um, So it's been a crazy little time for us. Yeah, there's a picture of us on the screen. Uh, She's sitting in the back, you can go and embarrass her later. You wanna stand up? No, you'd hate that. Um, No, but us moving here uh, is really exciting, actually, because I was recently at a church called Cornerstone that had a salt company, Um, and Dahati became friends with our pastors, and we're like, man, we want to learn what it looks like to do ministry in the city, and he's like, we want to do salt company with you guys, and so I've come here to learn, and I've come here to partner and become a part of this family in a way that's going to actually impact this city and specifically the college campuses. Yeah, so I'm really, really excited about it and, you know, and the work that we've been doing and really taking this next step as we are, we've been at Georgia Tech, now we're going to state, we had some, we have some at Emory, but share a little bit about kind of college and just its impact in your life specifically. Yeah, for me, so I grew up as a pastor's kid. I was in the church, I heard the gospel routinely, and I understood on a grand scale that I was saved by Jesus' grace. But it wasn't until I went to college and I got to be around my peers 
and actually grow in like this kind of like relationship that was deeper than I had ever experienced before. I saw people confess sin and repent and I saw the gospel transform individuals' hearts. And man, that was insane. And I was doing it alongside my dorm friends and the guys that I had met just one week ago and these random dudes that were going to parties the previous weekend, but now know Jesus. College is such an important time in people's lives. And for me, it was the moment when I got to see God transform others and myself by confession and repentance the most I've ever seen in my entire life. Amen. Amen. So... Why college students? Why college? Why are you so passionate about that? Why focus there? Yeah, well, actually, I love the little graphic you threw up there. That was so good, like the, the dichotomy. But the three things that I was thinking of is uh, college students, were, they're the leaders of this next generation. They're automatic learners. There's no better time to teach someone than in college, and they're fighters. When, when I think about leaders, it's like, these are the people who are, it's like the most dense population of next generation's leaders you're gonna find on planet Earth. College students are gonna be the ones who are setting the pace and setting culture for the next 25 years. What a crucial group of people to reach. And when I think of learners, they're paying literally hundreds of thousands of dollars for people to tell them what to think. I can't think of a better time to like sneak in there and be like, hey, you need to know Jesus. And like, make sure that that's preeminent and it's not just calculus. Like, I, I want them to be transformed on a soul level, and college is the best time to do that. The last thing is they're fighters. I think, Dahadi, you, your example is perfect. The, the, the little infographic that we had up there, man, college students, they are so on fire for what they're a part of because they, they just see the transformation of the world around them. They don't underestimate what God could use them for. And in that moment, when they graduate, they are simultaneously the most dangerous person for the gospel, and they could also be a massive waste of potential. They have a diploma that is a free ticket for them to get a job in any city in the world. And they can go there for the sake of Christ, or they can do it for themselves. And I want to make sure that we as a church are cultivating and understanding that kind of obligation we have to them to make sure that they know that they should use it for Christ. Because he's the only one worthy of their life. And if we miss that, then we miss our next generation. Amen, amen, amen. Um, so as we go and we're Indigenous Disciple Makers, and there are some important dates that are coming up with college, you know, that, that are going to be taking place. And there's also ways to get more information. Share about some of the important dates and ways for people who hear in this and was like, I want to be a part of that, how they can get connected. Yeah, so some really important dates coming up. You saw in the video, but mission trip to campus is going to be three days where we're like going hard after college students. I mean, like as many hours as possible, we're going to be on Georgia State and Georgia Tech's campus. And so that's the 20 uh, or the 19th through the 21st. And I know that some of you guys are working during that time, but college students are just chilling. They're hanging out. So if you have a lunch break, it's worth your time. If you have a late start or if you want to take a day off or if you just have a weekend to give, this is the best time to leverage your life for the sake of the gospel on college campuses. Uh, additionally, we're going to have our official kickoff on August 26th. That's going to be the first gathering of Salt Company here at Blueprint. And that's like the first time that college students are going to step inside this church, many of them. And so I'm asking that all of us be praying honestly and fervently that God would use that in a really powerful way. Um, if you guys want to get involved more, we need you. 
This isn't just like me and Justin Brew going as vigilantes on campus. This is a church that is gonna go and transform a city through the college campus. And so whether you can give one day or one day a week or one day a month or just one day at all, I would love to have a conversation with you. Come and talk to me and Justin. We're actually gonna have a little informational meeting right after service. It'll be downstairs, so you can go through either one of these stairs, down and then not in the Hello World area. There's actually gonna be an open door uh, that I'll be like, hey, come in here. And uh, we'll just point you in the right direction because it's a little complicated. So we'd love Amen. to answer any questions you have and figure out what it looks like for you to get involved in what College Ministry is gonna be doing here. Amen, see. amen. You're, appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Well, I'm going to pray as, we, um, as the worship team comes up. But again, you, there's going to be many opportunities that you're going to hear, right? We're going to be talking about different missions opportunities locally and abroad here. This is one of those opportunities that, we're gonna, that we want you to have. Like, again, our goal for this year is simply is that we want to shift the collective mindset from a family of members to a family of missionary disciple makers that you are sent. You don't have to go overseas in order to be sent. We are going to pray that people are going overseas, but we also are praying that you that are staying here, that are called to be here, that you would understand that you would have that same mentality to live sent. That's from the time that you are saved, God has called you to go. And so we're going to create those opportunities. And this is one of the opportunities. So if you have a heart and a love for college students like I do, then please go down, get some information. It's not a commitment, but get some information about it um, downstairs. And then also, if you have any time or if you have a day off that you want, you want to get some time from your job, take off one of those days and let's go on campus and let's love on these incoming freshmen coming in. Let's love on the people at Georgia State and Georgia Tech and, and these are these places. And so my prayer is that as a church, we would be about the Father's business. And this is one of the ways that we're doing it. There'll be many other ways that we'll talk about, but this is one of the ways. So let me pray and then the team will come up. Father, we're thankful that you give us opportunities to do this, Lord. We pray, God, whether they're online or whether here, that you are tugging on the hearts of men and women, Lord, about these types of opportunities. And so, Father, we pray, God, that you would, your will would be done. Lord, we thankful that, God, you are still in the business of using your people as conduits of your grace to be indigenous disciple makers where we live, where we work, and where we play. So, Father, I pray, God, for your will to be done. Father, we love you. We bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.